Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. Brian Hirsch is with us. Brian, are you okay? Are you good? Yeah, are you good morning to, go? to Oliver. Yeah, I've got my voice back. And I wanted to deal with a question that I haven't put, didn't send through to you. But the questions I've had for the last four days is what does grey listing mean to the individual? Yeah. And yesterday, the news on the news broadcast, our president said it will have little impact on the individual. Well, I'd like to actually disagree with that statement, and I'd like to explain why. Uh, this evening, we're getting a petrol increase. Uh, why are we getting a petrol increase? Not because the oil price has gone up. As a matter of fact, the oil price for the last month has been very flat, around eighty-one, eighty-two dollars. Yeah. But our rand has weakened to eighteen forty-one, and when our rand weakens, that puts pressure on anything that's imported, and that in, in, in refers to oil. Now, why is our rand depreciated? Everyone's saying because of load shedding. But let's understand foreign investors. When foreign investors invest in a country, they look for opportunity. Our government bonds are paying good rates of interest. Our rand is weakened because we've been grey listed, and that means to the individual three things. The first question is, why did we get grey listed? I won't go into that because I know you've dealt with that. But let me ask the simple question. We are being accused of not being in control of corruption. So I have one question to ask. We know money has left South Africa. Where has it gone? How did it get overseas? What banks took that money? Because it's not sitting in our main banks here in South Africa. Number two, no one has been prosecuted for anything that's happened, and that is another reason. So whilst we may have had 55 of the 60 things that the Financial Action Task Force gave us two years ago to get right, the main three to five have not been right, even though there's legislation. So grey listing will affect everyone because now the banks are going to be so much more concerned about who you are, where did your money come from, if you want to invest money, if you said you inherited they're going to want to see a will. They're going to want to see a liquidation and distribution account. If you sell, you sold a business, they're going to see want to see what business did you sell? Where did the money come into? Which means it's going to put more pressure on banks administration, and those costs in terms of uh, fees are going to be passed on to consumers. So it's not a fact that it just does have no effect on the individual in the street. It does. If interest rates stay, lo- stay high for longer, those who've got debt, and let's talk about healthy debt, the first bit of healthy debt is a bond on your home as long as you can cover the monthly repayment. There's nothing wrong because it's a low rate of interest and you've got to live somewhere. And the second is transport. A lot of people have got cars, they're paying off, and those interest rates, if they stay high, will take more money out of your take-home pay. Yes, taxes didn't go up in the budget. We won't talk about budget because it's already a week ago, and that was a very good thing. It was a very balanced budget. Was it positive? Well, the market thought it was positive because the RAND approved, and then when grey listing was on the market, grey listing has been bought. So grey listing is going to have effect on everyone, even though most yeah. people don't know what grey listing means. Yeah, speaking about banks, while we're here... We may as well just dig into this. Is this time of the year where banks start sending those messages saying, hey, our banking fees and tariffs are going to be increasing or changing, whatever the case may be? Is this a good time to review your your, your banking costs and perhaps uh, if you're a private bank, you may be able to negotiate or just migrate to a cheaper bank? 
Well, Oliver, you need to have a look at your exactly what your bank are charging. I know many banks, if you have a deposit of 20, 30,000 rand in a, in a money market account, you don't pay um, fees. So maybe that's something one should look at. But I think banks are going to have no choice because banks are going to be asking these questions of individuals, where's the money? If you want to take money overseas, the, the institution overseas is going to want to ask, where's this money coming from? They're going to want to make sure it's not money laundered. So I think banks are going to be putting a lot more um, admin is having to put a lot more time and effort. If you've got a trust company, we are in South Africa amateurs when it comes to running trusts. Globally, anyone who's got a trust is run by a professional company. Here, Oliver, if you form a trust, you can ask your brother, you can ask your sister, you can ask a friend to be a trustee. That is over. People who've got trust now are going to have to make sure those trusts are correctly, uh, uh, got the right trustees, people understand what they're doing. That's going to be more costly for those people who've got investments in trust because you can't just have a trust with anyone being a trustee. And the liabilities on trustees are enormous. So across the board, banks are going to be doing a lot more work. It's going to be a lot more work for the attorneys, a lot more work for the accountants. What a to, lot more. To, to what extent, uh, when we're talking about localized banking, international banking, I can understand and I used to work for a European news network uh, a while back, and and they used to pay me in in, in euros. Um, and every time I got paid, the bank would would withhold the money and ask for an explanation about this particular payment. Um, and I'd have to call the bank or go to the bank and explain, hey, and show invoices and that sort of thing. Um, and then they would release the money, and I would be able to use it. That seems like standard practice when there's uncertainty. Um, but I don't understand why that would be the case for domestic-based banking. Because banks, because of money, money laundering is where's money coming from. So if deposits get made into banks, banks in South Africa have to comply. They do comply. We've got very good banking system, but they could be asking more questions and there's more documentation to complete and more paperwork. People are going to get, it's really frustrating to do a lot with banks anywhere in the world because of paper. It's just going to become more frustrating. There are going to be more compliance officers, more regulations, and I'm just going to say that costs money because people, you need to employ different people or more people to handle that. So maybe banks may become slightly big employers, but they're going to be asking a lot more questions. And there's going to be, as you say, when you were in, internationally, we've never do, we have never behaved like the international banks behave with their customers. We're going to now have to, have to fall in line. Okay. But uh, is, it, is it a good time to review your banking fees? Well, I think it's always a good time to review your banking fees. First, speak to your bank to see how you can reduce your banking fees. And as I said, one of the one of the ways may be to make a deposit, whether it be ten or twenty thousand rand. If you've got a money market, make sure that's linked to your bank fees. And I think if your bank fees, I know personally, I've got twenty thousand rand with my bank, and I don't pay bank fees, and yeah. I've had that for years. Uh, so I'm just saying it's it's earning interest, maybe not the highest rate of interest. But I've done the calculations and not paying bank fees. And then, you know, you've got to realize with interest rates, credit cards are costing that much more. And when you've got a credit card and you're not paying your credit card in full every month, you are paying anything between 18 to 22 percent on your credit card. Well, if you're earning six or seven percent in the bank on money and you're paying 20, 22 percent on your credit card, better to make sure you pay your credit card in full. So all these things are going to impact. uh, 
Anyway, and the excuse is going to be used, well, we've now got grey listing and we've got new regulations and we have to be more careful. I'm just saying, it's not as simple as saying it's not going to affect your life. It's going to affect everyone's life. Yeah. Let's jump into that first question. Uh, You received this question, how do I find out if there's any money owing to me from a pension fund when I left the company over 25 years ago after nine years of service? I never took any withdrawal. This is a... A very common question. We don't. We speak about this more than anything else. Yeah. Um, do you want to? Do you want to respond to this? Yeah. I normally, I, I, I actually every second or third show I give the number out because I keep getting calls from people telling me that they worked for many years ago. You know, let's understand there were two different pension funds. I don't want to get too complicated. There was a defined benefit fund which defined your end result. So if you'd been with a company fifty years, they said you will get if you've been there for let's say forty years. They would say, and it, it was a forty-fifth, a 50th scheme pension fund, you would automatically get 40 over 50, which is 80% of your pension. Now, there were two contributions made to that. You made a contribution and the employer made a contribution. That's called the defined benefit fund. And at the end, your, your, your contribution was defined. You knew exactly what it was. The employer paid the difference to make up your pension. And the younger you were, the less they paid. Under defined contribution fund, employer makes a contribution, you make a contribution, and whatever the value is, that's what you get at retirement. Those yeah. are the current funds. But people who worked 25, 30, 35 years ago, when they were in defined benefit funds, they never got the employer contribution. They only got their contribution. Whatever the employer said they put in, they didn't have to give you back because it was all actuarially calculated. Now, those people, many people didn't take their benefits, and some as well did not even they took their benefits but they didn't know that they had to work out there was a surplus calculation being done by all the pension funds to say where did these surplus come from in the pension fund and shouldn't those be paid to people left years ago so people in the 80s 70s 80s may find that if they contact the, the pension and I'll give a toll free number uh, I'll give it to you Olam and you can maybe give it out one or two times yeah. it's 0800 203 Seven double two, and the email address is pension dot ub capital ub query at fsca dot co dot za, and they will do an online search for you. And I must tell you, if you retired twenty, twenty five, thirty years ago, and you left the company, it's worth making the call. It's a phone call to find out from them whether there is any pension surplus. So what, where does pension surplus come from? In those old funds, you made a contribution and the actuaries calculated what the employers must pay. Now, they built up surpluses from people leaving, dying early, withdraw, whatever the case may be. And there may have been a surplus allocated to all those employees. Make, make those calls and check up on that. Yeah. Let's move on to the second question, and we'll repeat that number at the end of the show once again. Let's move on to the second question. Please explain what I should do with the money that I have received from Fundisa. Fundisa, I'm assuming, is a bursary fund? Fundisa was a government-sponsored fund. It came in about maybe 15 or 20 years ago. And what that fund was, it allowed you to invest 
in a money market fund 200 well it was up to 200 rand you could invest as much as you like but i always on radio all for the last 15 years advise people to do it if you put 200 rand a month away that's 2400 year a year at the end of that year you got a 25% bonus added to that but it could only be used for tertiary education and over and above that you also got interest on your 200 rand a month and that's be, that was been going on for years, but that can only be used for tertiary education. And if you withdrew that money, then you lost the, the bonus. I've now, I went into that fund 15, 16 years ago. I know some years later they, they came the means test. And a lot of people now have received the money from Nedbank, the money that you put, that you made the savings, and you also received the bonus. Now, when you plan for education, going into a money market is a terrible investment because you're not going to beat inflation. And if you've got a 15, 20 year time horizon for children who are going to be educated, you've got a long time and you can be afford to be growth orientated. Fundisa closed down. They've paid everyone out. One of the reasons is because ed tertiary education now is free and therefore they've paid everyone back. Well, depending on how many years you've still got, my example, my grandchildren are 12 and uh, 13 and 11, so they've still got four to five years. So I've taken the money and I've invested it in a Satrix fund. I've invested in into the Satrix 40, which is an equity portfolio. It's the top 40 companies, which obviously include all our top companies, mining companies, banking companies, and I've invested in that for the next four to five years. Uh, you want to invest in it, you can go to Satrix, www.satrix.com. .co.za and that's you can do it directly because there are no brokers you don't need a broker there's risk involved uh, because but if you've got five years to go and if you've been even got longer then you can afford to uh, to to be more to be a little bit more growth orientated I think that's a good place to go for the next four five years into that type of fund if you've got one or two years to go because your kids are already 16 then maybe just put it in a money market you can get about seven and a half percent you can actually put that money maybe into tax-free saving as you know we didn't get an increase in the budget on tax-free savings it's still 36,000 rand a year which means wherever you invest the money there's no tax on interest capital gains or dividends tax and just house it in something a little bit more secure for um, if you in a money market fund if you've only got two or three years ago it's not enough time to be looking at growth investments yeah give us a call 86 if you have questions for brian this morning we're going to try to go through a lot of these questions as quickly as possible so we can take some new questions already a few lined up on our whatsapp voice note line third question you received a uh, very simple one and the answer here is quite trite when can i start borrowing on my pension fund well, in, the, in, 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 in Schedule C of the budget, they didn't comment on it in the speech, but in Schedule C, they've said they're working on it. They're hoping to have it implemented on the 1st of March 2024. I know you may be saying, why so long? But the insurance companies and the pension funds all have to get their rules in order. It's very laborious to do that. Those rules have to be registered. So they hope to have it by the 1st of March. The good news is you will be able to borrow on some of the money that you have in your 
your fund already. Originally, the the, the, the the regulations were you could only borrow on new money. That's money invested after the 1st of March 2024. Now they will allow you to take some money. It's called a two-pot system. The two-pot will be you'll have a retirement fund you will not be able to borrow on and you'll have the savings portion you will be able to borrow on, but we will get more details yeah. during the course of this year. It's not in now. It only comes in in 2024. Yeah, and of course, uh, as the insurance companies are still getting their rules in order as insurance customers you can can raise comments about that right yeah yeah but but maybe the rules very uh, uh, the rules really are not the insurance company it's the actual pension fund itself and there are many companies that run their own pension fund and their umbrella funds and their in and their funds uh, in your in your company's name they have to get all their rules right to allow you to borrow they've got to have systems in place to make sure that you don't over borrow uh, which means that if you reach retirement, if you've borrowed on your fund, you will, you, will, you will not have that sort of money. That's a danger at retirement. But people are saying it's more important for us to live. Or We'll talk more about that because I don't want people to be reckless. Yeah. And just because you can borrow on it, do it. I mean, if you don't need to borrow, don't borrow because that money is there to provide you with some financial freedom. Uh, we did get a we did get a slight uh, um, uplift in pension funds, uh, ninety rand and ninety rand now in April, ten rand in October for pensioners and across the board there were extra yeah. grants. The one thing we didn't hear a word about is grants. Grants seems to be stuck, but we may hear more at three hundred and fifty. But it's certainly yeah. carrying on until the first of March, twenty twenty four. Yeah, uh, and additionally, uh, borrow implies payback. No. Not in your pension fund. Borrow, this is where you're actually withdrawing from your fund. You know, you can only withdraw so from So you're a taking from fund. the fund. You're not borrowing from the fund. You're not borrowing. You're taking your own money. Up to, you know, you can, by the way, I don't know if, people, if our listeners are aware of this. You've always been able to use your withdrawal benefit under a pension fund for property. Uh, you've got to prove that it is for property, and sometimes the fund will lend you money direct. Sometimes they'll give a guarantee to your bank based on your withdrawal benefit. So let's say you work for a company and you've got a 100,000 rand withdrawal benefit. Yeah. You go to the bank. If there's a scheme in place, you go to the bank. The bank will give you a 100,000 rand to war, uh, bond because you've got surety from the pension fund. And if you leave the pension fund, the pension fund is the only time the pension fund's allowed to pay a third party, and that would be your bank. That's other than if you're yeah. convicted of a fraud. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's taking money out. So if you take money out, you're going to have less at retirement. But you can put back into it, right? So let's say you've no. solved your financial crisis. Well, I, no, that I don't know. Uh, I, I really don't know. We, I haven't seen that regulation at all. Uh, where, you know, I think it would be very difficult for insurance company to monitor money coming in, money going out. You know, it's easy to take a withdrawal and show it. But now you're going to – someone pays back 2000 and someone else pays uh, – we'll wait to see the regulations. And when we see the actual uh, final uh, format, we'll be, I'll be able to give much more detail. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. You can also send us a WhatsApp voice note on 0614-104-107. You can tweet me at Oliver underscore speaking. Brian Hirsch is here. We're talking finance, going through some of the big questions of the month. Colin in Cape Town, George in Kobecha. I see you guys. I'll be taking your calls on the other side of this. It is half past 10. Kamukhele Teledi has your headlines. Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. We're going through some of your big questions of the month here on the last Tuesday of February. Yeah, 
and we're talking finance with Brian Hirsch. We did three questions so far. We're going to go into four, five, and six, and we're going to try to go through them relatively quickly so I can take some of your calls and some of your WhatsApp voice notes. Uh, one of the questions you received, Brian, is I have been investing. I'm also very interested in this question. I have been investing 5,000 Rand a month for five years, in total 300,000, and I'm getting back 370,000. Uh, that would be a return of 70,000 Rand. It seems like a terrible return. I have calculated over five years at 8%, I should get back 440,000. Explain what happened here. Well, very simply, understand there's a big difference between what's called time-weighted returns and money-weighted returns. If, you, if, this, if, this, if this type of individual, I get a lot of these calls in different amounts, if this person had taken 300,000 Rand today and invested it for five years, at the end of the five years, that, invest, that manager could, person could have expected well over 470,000. But remember, they're not putting the 300,000 up front. Whatever you're putting, 100,000, 50, if you pay it monthly, only the first month's premium is, or first month's investment is going to be there for 60 months. The second month is only going to be there for 59 months. The third month for 48 months. And in the last year, your fourth year, the first of the fourth year, you'll only be there invested for 12 months. So that's what we call money-weighted returns. And there's a big difference. One is when you're putting it up front, and the other is when you're putting it in uh, monthly. You could get better returns by paying it monthly than you could then sometimes when you pay lump sum, because you may find that when you put a lump sum in, the market drops, and now you've got to wait for recovery. When you're paying monthly, if the market drops like it has over the last number of years, you're buying units at a lower price. And when they eventually recover all those units recover so there's a big difference between paying monthly and annually and when you pay a, or, or a single premium when you put a single premium away realize that that's going to be there for a period of time when you pay monthly you may need to stop after three or four years and then let the power what we call the principle of cost averaging work for you as the funds move forward but it's a very different component to paying monthly to putting a lump sum in and also it can be very very advantageous when you're buying units. I always say, if you're going to put a lump sum in, put a lump sum in, but also start at the same time by putting a monthly amount as well, so you're going to get the benefit of both calculations. Yeah, that 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 makes clear sense. Just in a nutshell, if you're putting it all in as a lump sum, you will then enjoy the full benefit of interest over that period of time, whereas if you're putting it in as a monthly installment, a monthly premium, you're only receiving the benefit of interest of what is currently in the account. And as it accrues, that interest then accrues as well. Oliver, you've just taken my job. Come sit the side of the table. You don't need me anymore. I couldn't have explained it better. (laughs) Um, Let's go on to the fifth question. Is it a good idea to access funds from your home loan to settle other debt? That's a a tricky one. uh, well, there's healthy and there's unhealthy debt. I don't think a, a home loan is unhealthy as long as you can understand that you're going to pay more now with interest rates going up. I don't think a motor car is, I think it's a necessary. So what I'm trying to say, but when you start taking unsecured loans and you start taking credit card loans and even sometimes overdraft loans, maybe not as much though, the first two I've just mentioned, unsecured and uh, credit card. If I owned 100000 on my credit card and I was able to access 100000 thousand rand from my bond, I would take that hundred thousand 
from my my home loan. I would pay off my credit card, which I'm paying anything, depending which card, anything between 18 to 22%. And now I'm going to pay it on my bond, and I'm going to pay somewhere between 10 and 11 and a half, depending whether I've got half below prime or half above prime. But the secret is you must pay the home loan off as quickly as you are going to pay your credit card off. So if you're going to pay your credit card off at 5,000 rand a month, you must be putting that 5,000 rand back into your bond. It's not going to save you monthly money, but it's going to save you half the interest. And that is very material when you put that money. So I'm saying it's not a bad idea if you have an access bond and your bank will give you and you qualify under the National Credit Act and all the requirements that the bank do to pay off your unhealthy debt, which is a high rate of interest. But then don't let that just accrue. Now I owe more and I'm going to pay my bond off over 20 years. Pay back what you were paying. And at the end of 20 months, you'll be in a much stronger position. You'll have saved thousands of rands by the lower rates of interest. Yeah. Give us a call. 086-000-2032. We're also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. And the final question is, I have been offered early retirement. I am 57. Should I take it? No. <laughs> Firstly, when we save, the power of compound interest is critical. That's interest on interest on interest. And particularly in the pension fund, the last five to seven years, because all the accumulated funds are really contributed and they're sitting there, you get the greatest return. Over the last seven years in a pension fund, you should double your money to what you had seven years previously at a 10% return. If you take early retirement, you're going to lose out on that. You're now going to probably live longer, which means you're going to have to have more money to last longer. It's a terrible idea. And then there's the emotive idea. What are you going to do? Will you get a job? I mean, depending on your uh, where you are in life, whether you can get a job or not. But to retire, even, you know, in France, they've had this, all these strikes because they've pushed up retirement age from 62 to 64. And all I'm saying is you should try and work as long as you can because we're living that much longer. Medical technology is improved we can live that much longer and you're going to lose out on money so now if you retired at 65 and let's assume your life expectancy was 20 years and you're now retiring at 57 you've now saved eight years less and your money's got to last you eight years longer and with the cost of living today and with inflation and how you're going to invest the money my advice, and that's why I gave a simple answer to the question, which uh, Oliver loves when I give simple answers, no. There you have it. The last years of your working life are the most lucrative as far as your pension fund is concerned. 86 We're going to go into a couple of these questions. Brian, <laughs> the first which I also have keen interest on from, from Phil in Durban. Phil says, hi, Brian. What's your opinion on investing in easy equities. Now, there's a difference between investing in easy equities, which is Purple Group, and using easy equities as an investment platform. Perhaps on both, what's your what's your opinion? I'm, I well, use easy equities. I do not yeah, have a broker. Oliver, uh, Oliver, I never talk about investing in a company. I'm not an analyst. And, you know, investing, you know, you say to someone, yes, that's a good investment today. And then they don't hear in six months time, the company comes out with results and the results are disappointing and no one hears about it. And they say, but you said six months ago. So investing in any one equity, you need to watch what's going on. You need to see the results. You see to need to see SEN's announcement. Easy equities is an easy way of getting into the market and buying stocks. But the question I always ask people who are buying 
stocks that you can buy. It's your own share portfolio, and you decide what to buy. How are you buying? Are you buying on trends? Are you buying on how you feel? What is the right uh, trend to be in? Should you be in mining? Should you be in banking? Should you be industrial? Should you be in, in firstly, what we call the top-down approach? Where do I want to be? Which is, these are the industries. You come like a helicopter over all the industries, and you say, I want to be in agriculture. I want to be in manufacturing. And then you when you're buying shares, it's a bottom-up approach, saying, now, which share am I going to buy? So, simple example, if I'm going to buy banks, which bank am I going to buy? I'm going to buy First National, I'm going to buy Standard, Nedbank, Capitec, Investec, RMB. Uh, I think I've left out one or two of the big big banks. I apologize if they're listening. And then, if you want to buy, um, if you want to buy industrials, which industrial company? If you want to buy retailers, are you going to buy Pick and Pay? You're going to buy Woolworths? You're going to buy Checkers? So, those are the decisions you used to make when you use easy equities. But if you enjoy that and you want to manage your own portfolio and you want to read up. Remember, the information you're reading is what every analyst is reading. They're reading it. They're interrogating the information. Do you have the ability? Most people buy easy equities. They buy what they know. They buy the, the companies they like. They buy the Capitex of the world and all the ones they like, the discoveries yeah. and all the, the brands they know. But, you know, sometimes in a portfolio, you need to have some of those winners. And maybe, those, you know, that you need to leave. But that doesn't mean you can't have both. You can, go, you can have a unit trust. You can have a Satrix investment. And you can have easy equities and learn from that. It's a very, very good yeah. place to learn. Yeah. Let's have a listen at this WhatsApp voice note. Uh, good morning, Oliver and the SAFM listeners. It's Brian here. Ask Mr. Brian Hirsch, what are bungles in in the portfolio? What what is known as bungles? Because I'm on easy equities, I can't invest on bungles due to that to the understanding that I don't know what are bungles. Yeah, that's that's uh, is is one of those questions that was just covered. But mm, I'll give a quick answer to this. There's a FAQ section there on Easy Equities. The answer for that lies in that. Colin in Cape Town. Colin, good morning. Good morning, John. Morning, Colin. Colin. Long time since I've heard for you. I hope you're in good health. Yes, yeah, Brian. No, I'll give you the whole story now. Brian, about the year ago, I phoned you about my savings account being something like 18,000 Rand. In my savings, you said to me, yes, you were talking about medical aid scaling down and things like that. So I was thinking about scaling down so-and-so, but come January this year, I forgot all about it. But I had to go for some checkups and things like that. I went for a TC scan. I had 24.6,000 in my kitty, in my savings. Well, anyway, I went to a TC scan drawing, and I went and had the bladder checkup, you know, in the hospital there. And everything is fine, everything is fine, 100%, just everything, never everything. But then I sat down and I've created everything as accounts came through and so and so. So I phoned up my medical aid and I asked him, but how come, why am I paying a co-payment? I've never ever paid co-payments because I'm on, I'm on the top plan, 4,000 rand a month I'm paying. Ooh, Colin, you're lying there. I can ask that you hold steady. Colin? Oh, we lost Colin there. Let's see if... We, I'm going to put Colin back and see if we can get Colin on a better line so we can get to the crux of, of, of uh, his story there. Uh, let's move on. George in Klebecha. George, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, 
Brian, I have a question on the bond reviews, uh, the interest rates, the bond reviews. How does one maximize or how does one use it to his benefit? Because you find yourself maybe having some serious inroads into the bond payment. Let's say you are a year or two ahead. And it's a, it's a, a new application, if I may say so, because they are starting everything as a fresh. You still have those extra costs that you need to pay. Um, how does one maximize? Because you find that the offers that the banks or the banks that you want to give business to, after you've spoken to this one for a review and they decline, they are very ridiculous. So I needed to just check. How does one maximize that? How how does it work for one? Because it's like it's useless, especially if you've made some serious inroads. If you are a year or two ahead, one might as well continue with these ones, although you're unhappy with them because they don't want to listen to you. You are saying to them, I've been diligent, I've never skipped any payment, I'm paying well, can you reduce but they don't want. But when you go on the other side to the competitors, they they give you ridiculous um, uh, offers. So I need to ask, how does one maximize the use of bond reviews? And when does it work for one? When does it help anyone? Thank you on listening over the radio. Okay, well, understand, you always have the right to talk to your bondholder. And as you say, you've been a good payer, you've been diligent, you overpaid on your bond, interest rates have gone up, and you feel now I'm a better customer maybe than when I first took the bond, and I may have got the bond. At the moment, if you got a bond at prime, you'd get it at 10.75. If you're a better customer, you may get it at 9.75. So the first place always to go back to your own to the own bank and say, if you don't do something, I'm leaving you. But most important is understand if you move from your bank and you cancel another bo- you cancel the bond to a different bank there may be charges and whether the other bank is prepared to pick up those charges depending where you're going and they want your business they may be may, may be prepared to do it for you and they may be prepared to do it at a lower rate that doesn't mean they can't raise their rates you know it could be catch you now and you'll pay later so you need to make sure that there's some underta- understanding at the bank that they're going to you know, they, your bond's not going to increase unless, obviously, interest rates increase, and they haven't increased bond rates more than the interest rate has increased. That's all you can do. But you need to do all the calculations because you need to see what your bank will charge for cancelling the bond. And one, don't ever cancel a bond before you've got in place another bond so that you could take it over. Then the bank would pay your bank and take over the bond. But Always try. And if you're not getting success from anyone you're talking to, go higher up in the organization. Go to head office, speak to home loans, and see what you can do. Don't just accept what a bank manager or a bank clerk may be doing in giving you advice. Go all the way to the very top. When the very top says, no, we can't do it, then it's time to change. Is that helpful? Thank you very much. Thank you so much for that, George. Really, really do appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of this, we'll see if we can get Colin. Uh, We have him back. We'll see if that line is stable. Let's take a quick break. Talking finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. We're in the last 10 minutes of the show. Let's see how many calls we can get in. Colin in Cape Town, Isaac in Clairstop. Let's start with Colin. Colin, do we have you back on a better line? Colin? Hello? Oh, there we go. No, there we go. Colin, yeah. Colin, we got up to the point where you said that you, 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 you'd gone to them because uh, you never had co-payments. That's where you were. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, um, uh, I sent uh, 
the report, I got it from the, the, the specialist, and the report went through to my medical Yeah, that's that's not any better. Can I ask you to hold still there, please? I'm on the line line. Hello? Oh, Colin. Yeah, I'm that's... on the line line. Okay, let's go ahead. Let's see how far we can get with, with, with the clarity we have and now. Anyway, they're going to investigate. Now, um, everything costed so and so, and it came out of my savings account. So I found up yesterday out of 25,000 rand, almost 4.6 odd, I've got 2,000 left. And I thought to myself, thank God I didn't de- uh, downgrade my, my uh, medical aid drawing. But uh, but uh, we uh, people have got to uh, uh, check check by the medical age what are those codes because you don't know what they charge you, Brian. This one's got 300 rand, 400 rand, 600 rand, all extras, extras, extras. So I'm just advising people when they go into any operations or anything like that, doctors to study what they paid and find up the medical aid and ask questions. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for that warning, Colin. And I can say to you, we're very happy that you, everything was clear and that you're in good health. And we wish you continued good health. Colin, thank you so much for that. Isaac in Clerkstop. Isaac, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Go ahead, sir. Right. Uh, Brian, I have, I don't know whether to call it a predicament or what. Um, I pre-COVID, first of all, I'm a foreign national. Uh, I am... I've been working in South Africa since 2008. Um, the work that I do is erratic. I get paid here and there. Um, sometimes my payments are delayed two, three months. Eventually, uh, I get my money. Now, uh, a few years back, I think 2017, I decided to get a retirement uh, policy with Momentum. Uh, through Alan Gray, through Momentum. Um, during the COVID period, I become had gone to a complete stop. I called them, I asked them what the way forward was. They told me that they were of some sort. And I once um, stable, I couldn't contact them. I should actually contact them every three months. I did that. Um, when it really got back on my feet and money starts coming back in, I contacted them to, you know, read up my policy to carry on with, with, with my, my retirement policy. And they told me, no, your policy is paid up. There's nothing you can do. Now, I wanted to find out what other options I have besides that uh, and what else I can do to get a retirement policy. I'm 35 years old. Um, my... Uh, Income is erratic. It's not uh, every single month. I don't get paid uh, on the 25th or on the 15th like everyone else. I get paid uh, as per invoice. Um, I don't know what advice you can give me with regards to retirement. Okay, let's try and quickly get through this one because we are yeah. running out of time. Just a question to you. How much have you got in your paid-up retirement annuity? Uh, well, it's 20 something thousand. Uh, okay, because anything under 15,000 you can withdraw. Okay, so the first thing is what you need to do is you're not, you mustn't pay on a monthly basis if it's erratic, simply because they will, if you miss two premiums, your policy will either be paid up or you'll lose the funds depending what type of. Uh, 
contract you've entered into. Some are what you pay as you go. In other words, the commission and the insurance companies' fees are debited on a monthly basis. Some work up front, which means if you stop your retirement you're too early, they will debit the policy with all expenses that they what they call unaccrued. So let's assume they were paying commission 500 rand a month for a year. That's uh, 6,000 for the year. And you stopped after four months. There's still 6,000 rands worth of expenses to be debited to that policy and therefore you'll get back nothing. So it must be done, you must be doing on an as and when. You can pay contributions quarterly, half yearly and yearly. And now we've got into a new tax year. Well, happy, uh, this is, I suppose, to wish everyone a happy year because it's a happy new tax year from tomorrow. But having said that, so you need to get into something more. If you can't do it on monthly, don't take a chance of being erratic as and when because you can make single premiums, but in companies won't take less than maybe 25 or 30, even 50,000 as a single premium. And if I'm correct, please uh, let, let us know. Let, send me an email just to say, no, we're a company that will take less. Uh, and then you, that's what you must do. Uh, and yes, it's a good idea. You're 35 years old and anyone at 35 years now should either be contributing to a pension or a retirement or both. It may not even be an all because you're already 10 years in, uh, away from 25 and people should start early days. So that's all I can say. That's how you should operate uh, and deal with that. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. Let's squeeze in one more. Des in East London. Des, good morning. Hi. Good morning, Oliver. Good morning, Oliver. Morning, Brian. Morning, Brian. Once again, morning. thank you for a brilliant program and all you do. Brian, thank I've you. got a living annuity. And every month I tender, tender, tender hooks, wait to see if it's gone up or down. I approached uh, my broker and said, could I not put half into a fixed annuity so that I would have the security of a fixed income and play the market with the balance? He came back and said, no, the rule is all or nothing. Is this a company policy or a government policy? You know, I've seen companies that will do it. I would imagine it's more a company policy. Uh, may I ask you which company you're with? Uh, Investec, 91. Okay. I, I, I think it's not an all or nothing. I've done, it for, I've done it for clients. But you sound very young. How old are you? 79. Jeez. Okay, you, I thought you were 50. <laughs> yeah, you sounded much younger. That's why I was asking your age. Look, at 79, yes, you can get a very nice fixed pension. What you can do is you can apply to have your retirement annuity or your living annuity moved from one company to another, a company that will allow you. I've got a funny feeling old mutual allows it. That doesn't mean there aren't other companies that allow it. You can move it. Uh, and I, But I don't like one comment you made. You said, I can play the market. Well, I don't think it's 79 you should be playing the market. Let me, but, let me put it this way. I put it in your hands. Uh, yes. You know, well, you decide. You want to be a little bit more growth orientated but you certainly can buy a, fi a fixed pension and I would imagine your fixed pension at this age 79 would probably be in the order of around about 12-13% but you well, can I do that it's and sometimes it's securing it's securing a pension and looking for the future uh, for you know because obviously your danger is ahead of your inflation and longevity hope that helps yeah. okay. thank Thanks, you so Brian. much Des appreciate Thanks, it Oliver. Thanks, Des. thank you for your yeah. comments Brad one voice note I'm going to squeeze in there let's see if we can get a quick response on it Hi, good morning. How are you, how are you doing? Uh, lovely show as usual. Tell me, um, I've been trying to get bright. Uh, 40 years old, recently started working, uh, got a retirement annuity, got two. 
um, yeah, what more can I be doing uh, for a for a for a for a comfortable uh, retirement? The funds in both those um, retirements they amount to fifty grand. It's about forty somewhat. Yeah, it's close on fifty. So what more could I be doing in this last twenty years that I've got to work uh, for a comfortable retirement? Okay, I'm going to give my number out, but there are three questions that I need answered. Number one, what are you earning? What do you live on? That's the first question. Number two, you didn't tell me how much you're contributing. And number three, what other investments have you got? Because at age 40, you're already way over the number of years you should have been saving. So my number to get hold of me and leave messages with all your phone numbers is 11 double eight zero four triple eight zero one one double eight zero four triple eight i hope you leave the message tell them that you called me on radio and and your one was that i had started answering and i hope we'll be able to i'll be able to get hold of you and it takes me about over 10 days to two weeks to get back to everyone thank you so much for that brian really really do appreciate it brings us to the end of that conversation brian's back with us next week tuesday it's 11 o'clock kamukhele has the news for you